Our reading today is from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 20. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Well, as the time drew near for our departure, we were counting down the, uh, on the calendar the number of days that remained, and uh, we'd been preparing an itinerary. It was taking shape. We figured out where we were going to stay and uh, the churches that we would attend on Sunday, and then finally the day came. We were up at 4 a.m. By 5 a.m., we were in the car. We were being driven to the train station to catch the train to take us to the airport. Did the check-in went through the customs and security, waited to board the plane. We saw there the the plane on the tarmac. We saw the passengers. We saw the flight crew. There we were in the plane receiving the emergency um, instructions. This is what you do if this happens and so on. We're on time. The engine's idling, warming up. We start moving down the runway, taxiing as they call it, reach the end of the runway. It's time. 
our expectations are now coming to reality. The engines roar to the crescendo and the plane accelerates down the runway, up, up, and away. Are you with me? <laughs> We're on our way to England. Are we allowed to talk about England in Australia these days? I'm just, all the cricket going on, it's pretty hard. Now, as we've been thinking about already this morning, and Kate, Katie mentioned, really from the get-go, Mark is wanting us to know that really the time has come. It's time. The time that uh, the Old Testament uh, prophets had relentlessly been talking about when God's servant king would come and bring that reign to the earth in an everlasting way. Uh, it's a fast-paced gospel. Uh, you catch your breath and you're moving on and press on here and there. And 41 times, I think it is, you have the words at once or immediately. It's a real pace about it. And from the start, we're told who Jesus is and what he's doing. The, um, the main theme appears there in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, that word gospel uh, means good news. In Isaiah 52 verse 7, it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace and bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, in Zion your God reigns. And it's so appropriate that Mark uses that little phrase, good news, to point us to Jesus Christ, the Son of God who brings God's reign on the earth. He is that good news who proclaims that good news. In 2 Samuel 7, God promised King David a descendant to reign forever on his throne. And God said of him, I will be his father and he will be my son. And Mark is telling us Jesus Christ is this person. When in verse 1 he says, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so, right off the bat, we should be asking ourselves as we read the gospel, how will Jesus Christ, the Son of God, reign forever? And notice that Mark says in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel. In other words, as you are reading the gospel, there must be more to come. And uh, many have read on into Mark's gospel, and many have reached that same conclusion as the Roman centurion at the end of chapter 15 of Mark's gospel, where he said, as Jesus is crucified, surely this man is the son of God through Jesus' death and rising to new life, he reigns forever. Before Jesus appears, Mark begins his gospel with expectation. Get ready for the promised one. In verses 2 to 8, we receive some final words before we speed down the runway and take off. A messenger prepares. And Mark concludes in this um, little beginning part here, these three Old Testament references. 
If you've got those sort of cross-reference study Bible things, you'll see there's some footnotes and it talks about that uh, where Mark gets these from, from Exodus 23.20, Malachi 3.1 and Isaiah 40 verse 3. And so my question to you this morning is why in verse 2 does it say written in Isaiah the prophet? It's going to ponder, isn't it? Uh, most of the um, quote is from Isaiah, and what the uh, Exodus and the Malachi text are doing is, is really interpreting the Isaiah text. And again, uh, as you go on into Mark, you'll see that Mark is often using quotes from the Isaiah text. In fact, in Isaiah 40, the prophet there in that reading in Isaiah 40 is talking about there a new Exodus that's going to take place after the Babylonian exile. Isaiah goes on to talk about a final atonement for sin and the coming of the new heavens and the new earth. That like Moses, the leader of the first exodus, Jesus will be the leader of a new exodus for his people that is salvation from slavery not a physical slavery like we're in shackles like the people in in Egypt but sin freedom from sin freedom from the slavery of sin the restoration of all things is breaking in through Jesus Christ and John the Baptist is the voice in the wilderness. The prophet Malachi spoke of Elijah returning before the coming of the Lord. And John is looking every bit like Elijah. He's in the wilderness like Elijah. I mean, he obviously shops at the same department stores as Elijah does with that camel hair and leather belt. He shops at the same uh, supermarkets. He's eating locusts and wild honey. He looks like a prophet. He uh, He sounds like a prophet. He's in the sort of place where God would meet with prophets in the wilderness there. And his message is a simple one. Get ready for the promised one. Be baptised of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jews required the Gentiles to go through the water rituals to become a Jew. It was the Gentiles that needed to be cleansed, not the Jews. The Jews were the, uh, you know, the physical descendants of Abraham. They were okay. They didn't need to be washed. And John's baptism and message said that physical lineage doesn't make you a true member of God's people. Only those who repent of their sins and believe the gospel and love the Lord. Getting people ready for the Lord meant telling them, You need a new start. And they heard it. Mark tells us in the gospel here that from all over Judea and from Jerusalem, people came out to the Jordan River for baptism. And John kept telling them, one so great is not far away. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Again, the Old Testament said God would do this in the last days. 
Now, John's water baptism prepared people to receive that greater baptism from the one whose sandal strap John had no right to bow down and untie. All who repent, who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, are baptised with the Holy Spirit. There isn't such thing as a Christian and a Christian whose spirit fills. There's no such thing as a Christian and say, the born-again Christian. If you trust in Jesus, if, if there is in you the, the life that desires to please him, where you repent of sin and you, you love him and you love his people, you want to listen to him, is all the signs that the Lord has baptised you with his spirit. It is impossible to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. Paul in Ephesians 1 writes how we receive Christ's baptism through the message we heard. And that message is the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed it, uh, he writes, you were, what does it say? Sealed. That is, God owns you. He owns his people and he does it with the promised Holy Spirit. And so John's message is when the Lord comes, he will baptise with the Holy Spirit. And Mark tells us the day comes. In verse, in point three there, time's up, Jesus is, is here. And we, uh, we see that Jesus is here when uh, we just look at the uh, section here in the Bible where he says, uh, he talks about Jesus' baptism, his identity, his temptation, and his message. So in verse 9, we pick it up there, it says his baptism. So it says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Why should Jesus need John's baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? I mean, if Jesus needs to do that for his own sin, uh, we are in big trouble. <laughs> You know, in Matthew's Gospel, uh, he says there that Jesus receives John's baptism to fulfill all righteousness. And so Jesus comes to obey every commandment God gave Israel. And this includes baptism. And this is so important for us, friends, because not only do we need Jesus to be our substitute for our sin, to make the uh, atonement that we need for our sin, to, to make us people who are clean before God. We also need Jesus' perfect, spotless life of righteousness. So that that perfect life of righteousness can be credited to you by faith alone. Jesus died in our place, but he also lived for us a perfect life life of obedience 
to God. Let me ask you, what record of righteousness are you able to present before God that will bring you into his eternal kingdom? We saw last week in Ezra 9, didn't we? No one is righteous enough to stand before him. We need Jesus to be baptised for us. And whatever God commands, he does. And so he can credit his perfect life of righteousness to all who trust in him. His baptism tells us time's up. And he's here. So does his identity. Verse 10, he came up out of the water and immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Uh, I'm sure you would have noticed the triune God there, Father, Son and Spirit all present at that moment. Heaven's open to Jesus, the beloved son. And through Jesus, by the spirit he received... And the spirit that he gives to believers, heaven is open to us. Isaiah 11 says the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And that spirit is the power for Jesus to do his ministry. The Lord in Psalm 2 says to his son, you are my son. When he has enthroned his son, even as the kings and the rulers of the nations plot against him. God enthrones his son as the cosmic ruler of the universe who laughs at those opposing his will. And in those days, Mark is saying, this son who received all the father's delight is Jesus. For he is that spirit endowed suffering servant of Isaiah 42. He was going to give his perfect life, that once for all sacrifice for the sins of his people, so that he will have a pure, spotless bride for his son. Yes, the Father is pleased. As the Holy Spirit led the people in the wilderness after the exodus. So Jesus is here about to lead his people in a new exodus. That he passes through the Jordan River, enters the wilderness, compelled by the Spirit to face temptation. And the testing for 40 days. And unlike the nation which God says in Hosea 11, the nation he describes as my son, who wandered the 40 years and failed. Jesus, the son of God, is now tempted and tested 40 days in the same place. He's come not to defeat the Romans, but the powers of evil, sin and death. As Adam, the son of God, was tempted and failed. So Jesus, the last Adam, the obedient son, will succeed. God's sons, Adam and Israel, 
had their missions from God and fails. And now Jesus, the Son of God, receives his mission, driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, standing against all temptation for our salvation and triumphed. With me this morning, you might be moved to ponder just how good the gospel of Jesus Christ really is for you and why you need Jesus doing everything he's doing every step of the way. Mark includes his baptism, his identity, his temptation. The time is up. Jesus is here and the message, verses 14 to 15. This is 14 to 15. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel good news from God, the gospel good news about God. Back in verse 1 we read, didn't we, that the gospel is good news of Jesus Christ. It's always been about God. It's always been about his son, his life and work. The three persons of the Trinity were all in eternity committed to glorify themselves by saving people for themselves. The kingdom is at hand because Jesus is present. And the appropriate response is to leave the life focused on self and live for God and his purpose in the world. The gospel isn't good news for you because God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It isn't that, you know, you can be, uh, you can have the best life you can have right now. It's Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done. Repent and believe in the gospel. Live for him. Live for what he's doing. Live for the glory of him. And by the spirit he gave you. Follow him. And then we see in the gospel account that he returns from the wilderness and the day came when he saw and called people to follow him. Peter and Andrew, James and John, fishermen, businessmen, They had a fishing business. Jesus sees them in a sense that that they were the ones that were given to him by God his Father to be apostles, called to belong to Jesus, called to be learners of Jesus, called to be lifelong learners of Jesus. And the call was simply this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In Ezekiel 29, the Lord describes, is described there as the fisher of men and women for judgment. Those who become fishers of men are catching people for judgment. Preparing people to be ready to meet the Lord for the final day. By teaching them to live lives of faith and repentance. 
And that's what Jesus' followers do. We, we want to see people standing before God, unafraid, on Judgment Day. By lovingly, patiently, winsomely calling them to know the Lord. It means teaching and baptising them. The Great Commission. And that's why, as a church, we want to be committed to four E's. Engage, evangelise, establish and equip. So that people would know the Lord and follow Jesus and find their place in the life of God's church. And Mark tells us these first followers did what they did here. And they, it says that they, they leave and follow. There's just no hesitation. Just sort of left their lucrative businesses. We're not all apostles. We're not apostles. Jesus gave 12 a special office and set them apart and called them away from their previous occupations. And it may well be that following Jesus and his call on your life is not about you leaving your vocation or whatever the context you're, you're currently in. But then again, it might be. Jesus calls his followers to be in his fishing business. Has the Lord Jesus seen you and called you? And do you know what he wants you to do to follow him? The first thing that must happen, if it hasn't already, is that we must repent and believe the gospel. And then we can take our part in the good news recruiting business. And like John the Baptist, will you prepare people to receive God's king so they will not meet him in judgment but as a saviour? It's time. Inevitably, the kingdom will come. It draws near. On that day, you will be eternally grateful that Jesus came as God's good news. I was sharing coffee uh, a couple of days ago with Steve. And uh, we, we just get together and have a, we talk. And um, anyway, I don't know how it came up, but uh, the subject of Mars came up. And I think I'm right in saying, Steve, that you said to me something to the words of the effect that they reckon in about 200 years people will be going to Mars, they'll be at the airport, ready for takeoff, off to Mars. I'm going to live on Mars. I mean, our world would be absolutely fascinated by that idea, wouldn't it? Star Trek, I don't know who's a fan, but that certainly has whetted the appetite for such things. Right? I mean, who knows? But what I do know is Jesus Christ came and lived on earth, bringing his kingdom, 
And the day draws near when he will come to this earth and reign forever. And Mars will never be the same again. Who will be ready for that day? Should he say, why should I let you into my kingdom and glory? What do you think he would say? Because? Because I... Because I did... No, not because I did this. But because Jesus Christ came, the Son of God, the perfect one, who in love gave his perfect life in death on a cross in my place for my sin. This is what he came to do, why the Father was so pleased, and why he called people with a sense of urgency to follow him. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe. Time to tell someone. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are your people by grace. Gospels come, the person of Jesus 